you can be seated. You can turn to 1 Corinthians 16. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 16 today. We're actually wrapping up our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's been the whole semester and, and last semester that we've spent on it. It's actually really cool what Paul does at the end of this letter. It feels like a lot of disjointed subjects, and yet they all come together. It's a really practical instruction that Paul is going to give us. So we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 16 today. Now, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to go grocery shopping. I don't know if any of you like to go grocery shopping. I abhor it. Uh, I really dislike when it's my turn to go to HEB because I feel really inadequate to shop. It's so many selections, so many options. I always feel like it's really hard to find what I need. And that's particularly true when you first walk in to HEB and what's there right at, at the front of the store, the fruits and vegetables, which is like the most confusing thing ever because how do you know if you are selecting a fruit or a vegetable that's good? or that's not ripe enough, or too ripe, or rotten. How can you tell? I know there's all these rules that you're supposed to apply. Like when you're trying to find a watermelon, my boy loves watermelon, so I buy a lot of them. You're supposed to hold it up to your ear and knock on it. If it sounds hollow, it's good. I've knocked on a lot of watermelons. They all sound the same. They all sound hollow. That's, a, that's not a good rule. And avocados, you're supposed to find an avocado that is firm, but not too firm. That's like the most subjective test ever. Because what is too firm? What's firm to you is might not be firm to me. I have no idea how to apply that one. And cantaloupe, don't even get me started. I just grab one, throw it in the cart, and hope Julie will forgive me when it turns out to be rotten. I don't have a clue how to select cantaloupe. Fruits and vegetables are very frustrating because I cannot tell what are the characteristics of a good one. I can't find a good one. Now, that's not a big deal when you're talking about fruits and vegetables because it's not that big of a financial loss if you get a, a rotten one. But, but what if you're talking about a church? What if you're trying to select a church to belong to? How do you find a good one? And the sad reality is that most of you are going to leave Grace Bible Church soon. It's just a reality we've resolved ourselves to. We cry about it every year, but it's life in a college town. You leave. Whether you're a student or faculty or staff or just a person in this town, it's a very transient community. Most of you will leave at some point. You'll move to a a new town and you'll find a new church. So how do you find a good one? What are the marks? What are the characteristics of a healthy church? Now on the flip side, so long as you are here with us at Grace Bible Church, how do you help Grace Bible Church to be a healthy church? Are we healthy? Can you even tell? What can you do to help us to become more healthy? The Bible has a lot to say about that. A lot of answers that the Bible gives. We cannot cover them all. Way too much for one Sunday. What we can do is look this morning in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul is going to give us four marks of a healthy church. So he's going to tell us four things that you should look for in any church that you're checking out, four things that you should personally commit to to help your church to become more healthy. So let's look at these four marks of a healthy church in 1 Corinthians 16. The first mark of healthy churches is that they give to the needy. They give to the needy. Look at chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Now, Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week. Each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. 
This gift to Jerusalem, let me give you a little background. Years before Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, a prophet showed up in the city of Antioch. Here is that story, Acts chapter 11. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would, be, so there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So Agabus comes and he prophesies that a great famine would strike the whole world. And it did. Starting around 41 AD in the country we now call Italy, a famine began. And it, and it moved eastward towards Israel and it got worse as it moved east. And it arrived in Israel around six, or 46 to 48 AD and it was just horrible. It just ravaged the city. And so the residents of Jerusalem were impoverished during the famine and for years afterwards. They were incredibly poor and incredibly needy. Now, if you were a non-Christian Jew who was poor and needy, other Jews would take care of you. The Jews took care of their own. They would, they would supply your needs. But if you were a Jew who had converted to Christianity, well, no other Jew would help you. Actually, they, they ostracized any Jew who converted to, to become a Christ follower. They, they kicked them out of the temple. They would not help them. And so the church in Jerusalem was in desperate need of help from other churches, or, or they weren't going to even be able to stay alive. And so Paul made it one of his personal missions in life to raise support from the wealthier Gentile churches that had not been hit as hard by that famine to send back to Jerusalem to care for the, for the Christians who were living in poverty in that city. Now, this idea of giving charity to the poor is not new to us, but it was totally new in Paul's day. You see, in the Greco-Roman culture of the first century, you never gave to charity unless it could benefit you. You only gave to other people if they could somehow return the favor or give you loyalty or honor or praise. That was the only reason anyone ever gave money away was for selfish ends. A guy who lived around the same time as Paul, Plutarch was his name. He was a historian and he would write advice to to the Greeks and Romans alive in, in Paul's time. And here's what he says about charity. Rulers should show philanthropy to whom? To their friends. And the friends should shower them with love and honor. Okay, so you only gave if someone was going to return the favor with loyalty, with honor, with fame. But Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do something completely different. To give to people they had never met, who lived on the other side of the world, who could never repay them back, not financially, not with favors, not with loyalty, not with fame. There was no reward that would come back to the Corinthians, and yet Paul says give anyways. That idea of sacrificial charity, it was completely unprecedented in Paul's world. And yet that is the first mark of a healthy church. We give charity to the poor. We give to the poor even when they cannot return the favor. That's the first mark of a healthy church. And Paul describes that kind of sacrificial charity, that charity that honors God. He tells us that that healthy churches give to the needy regularly. He said in chapter 16 there at the very beginning, in verse 2, on the first day of every week. This is not just something you do at the end of the calendar year for tax purposes. It's not just something you do during holidays. It's, it's your habit in life. Every week you are continually giving to those who are in need. It's a, it's a regular practice. So healthy churches give to the needy regularly and they give to the needy 
universally, meaning that all of us give. Paul says each one, everyone in the church, not just those who have the spiritual gift of giving, not just of those who have a lot of extra money lying around, but every single follower of Christ, together we all give to those in need. It's a universal thing that we do. We, we all do it, and, and that leads to the third feature of, of God-honoring charity. We all give proportional to what we have available. God, God says, or Paul says, each one gives as, as he may be prospered. So as God has prospered you, as God has blessed you, you give. Now, leave your finger in 1 Corinthians 16 and turn to the right a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Usually when we hear about charity, about giving um, charity to those in need, we tend to think about tithing. How much is a tithe? A tithe was 10%. Now that's an Old Testament number. The Jews in the Old Testament, they were required to give 10% of their income to those in need. In the New Testament, there is no percentage. God doesn't give us a number because it will vary from person to person based on on whatever financial ability God has blessed you with. You are to give proportional to your your means. Now, for some of us who are poor, it's not going to be much we can give. There are many of you out there who have very little wealth. Many of you who are in debt. You're, You're underwater financially. You don't have much to give, and yet God is still calling you to give something. Look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. The Macedonian church was desperately poor. Very, very poor, and yet still they chose to give. They couldn't give much, but they gave beyond their ability. What the Macedonians understood is that poverty is not an excuse for not giving. Because there's always someone who's poorer than you. There's always someone who you can bless, even if it's with only a few dollars. There's somebody who God can use you to encourage financially. So poverty is no excuse for not giving. Even if you're poor, you still need to give something. Even if it's just a little bit, you still give regularly to those in need. But there's some here this morning who can give a lot. There's some of you who can give way more than 10% because God has blessed you richly. He's prospered you. You have lots of wealth. And so Paul is is challenging you in your giving to the needy, be generous. Give generously, not just out of the surplus that's left over after you buy everything you want, then you give a little. No, that's not how biblical giving works. Charitable giving is generous giving. You give sacrificially. You give enough that you're having to actually make a sacrifice. So the New Testament, it doesn't give a number. It gives a principle. You are to give enough that it hurts. You've reached enough when when it actually hurts you to give more. You're having to make real sacrifices. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. That's a biblical charity. You are giving more than you can afford to give to those who are in need. Now, for those of you who are wealthy, I know you, 
You worked hard for your money. You, you, you earned it. You made sacrifices. You skimped and you, you sk- saved and you invested. You've worked hard to earn your wealth and it's hard to part with and yet God challenges you to give generously. It's actually a common theme that you'll find throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 6. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. God has blessed you richly so you can be rich in your blessings to other people. That's the whole purpose of wealth. Why does God let some people get rich? So that they can richly bless other people. That's the whole purpose of wealth in the kingdom of God. If God has given you much, it's so that you have much to share with those in need. And so whether we're poor or whether we're rich, God challenges us to give, to give generously, to give beyond what is reasonable, more than we can easily afford to those in need. But I want you to know there's no one at this church that is ever going to twist your arm to give more. We're not going to pressure you because generosity that is forced is not generosity. God doesn't want you to give out of obligation or guilt. That leads us to the final characteristic of charity that honors God. It's given joyfully. It's given out of joy. It's given as as something that you desire to do. God wants our charity to be a a private decision that we make in, in the peace of our own hearts. It's not something that we compel one another to do, that we pressure one another to do. That's actually why Paul said he doesn't want a collection taken when he arrives because a public collection, that would create peer pressure, would create guilt, and that's not how generosity works. Paul wants each person to privately decide how much to give, and he wants them to be motivated by joy. He wants you to understand that giving to those in need is a privilege. And I think all of us who are parents, we tell our children, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And yet, if you look at the culture that we live in, nobody believes that. It's just a cliche that parents tell their children because they want their children to be nice. But the Bible says it's true. The Bible says that there is a deep and abiding joy that God gives when you give to other people that excels, that surpasses the temporary pleasure you could ever get from buying stuff. People go out and they try to buy all this stuff because they think that it will make them happy, never understanding that the path to joy is by giving. I saw an article just this morning about some of the outrageous things that people who are wealthy in the Middle East are buying. They have so much money, they cannot find things on the shelf to go buy. They've already bought them all. So one guy, he took a, a Cadillac and he dipped it in gold, whole thing in gold. Another guy took a Mercedes and had it encrusted in diamonds because they are trying desperately to find new things to spend their money on to try to make their hearts happy. It never works. The only way to joy is by giving to those in need. And so God isn't compelling you to give. He's inviting you to give. To give generously beyond what you can afford out of joy that you get to participate in something that will make your heart truly lastingly joyful. Healthy churches give to the needy. They do it regularly. They do it universally. They do it proportional as each one has ability. They do it generously and they do it joyfully. Now, how do you practically do that? Where should you give your money? Well, let me give you a few concrete ideas of how you can give to people who are in need. First and best way to give to those who are in need is to give to someone you know. A family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who is going through a hard time in life. 
God is, has brought that person into your life so that you can be charitable to them, so that you can give sacrificially to them. That's the best form of charity because God has arranged you, You're responsible for those people in your life who are in need. So that's the first place that you go to give charity, somebody you know who is in need. Now, beyond that, where do you go? Well, you can give to our church, not to the general fund, but we have a fund set up. It's called People in Need. It's really straightforward. You can write a check and write People in Need in the memo line, or you can go on our website and actually choose as the fund you want to go to, People in Need, and 100% of that, every dollar you give, will be used by the deacons and given directly to other people at Grace Bible Church who are having financial crises. So maybe they're losing their home, they don't have a form of transportation to get to work, they can't buy food. The deacons collect that money and distribute it. 100% goes to people in need. So you can give to that fund. Another idea, you can give to Breakaway Shalom Project. Many of you have heard about it. This year is an incredibly appropriate ministry. It fits 1 Corinthians 16 to a T. They are raising money to give to Christians in the Middle East, Syria and Iraq in particular, and in Africa who are being persecuted for their faith. They're in need because of their commitment to Christ. And so they're raising money to partner with organizations who are, who are giving to those Christians in need. That's exactly what Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 16. You give to brothers and sisters in Christ who you'll probably never know who are in desperate need because of their allegiance to Jesus. So just go to Breakaway's website. Big banner right on the front says Shalom. Click it. It'll bring up all the details you can give right there. It's a great project to participate in. It's only another few days to give to this project. So great opportunity. Or you can give to one of the organizations here in town that our church partners with, like the Brazos Church Food Pantry. They're raising money and collecting food for those who cannot feed themselves. So a great charity to be involved with. Aguiland Pregnancy Outreach and Hope Pregnancy Center, caring for those in crisis pregnancy situations. A great, really relevant way to care for people in a crisis, people in need. You can give to SOS Ministries that Save Our Streets out of Bryan. An incredible ministry to former gang members. Lots of neat opportunities there to give to people who are in need. Or you can give to the Bridge Ministries, which is really focused on poverty in the Brazos Valley. All of these groups are listed on our website. If you just go and click serve, right up at the top, serve, it'll pull up a menu and on it says partner organizations, our partners. Click those and you'll get a whole list. If you have a hard time finding any of these, just call us at the church. We'd love to connect you with somebody whom you can give to so that you can participate in this charity that God has called us to. So healthy churches and healthy believers give regularly and generously to people in need. That's the first mark that you want to look for in any church that you go to. Okay, they give sacrificially to people in need. Second mark of a healthy church. They support their leaders. Healthy churches honor and care for their elders and their deacons, their pastors and their staff, and their missionaries. I want to take each of those three groups in turn. Healthy churches honor their elders and their deacons. I think that's what's going on here in chapter 16. If you go back to chapter 16, towards the end of the chapter, look with me at verse 15. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men." 
would appear that, that Stephanus was one of the first converts to Christianity in all of modern-day Greece. He and his family became Christians, and they became leaders in, in the church in Corinth. So he's what we would think of as an elder or a deacon in their church. And he takes a couple other of the leading men of the church, the leaders of the church, and they go and visit Paul. They, they take questions from the church to Paul. They bring Paul's answers, his letters, back. And Paul says that, that to these men who serve as your elders, as your deacons, leading the church he says in in verse 16 that you need to be in subjection to such men submit to them follow their leadership respect them because God has called them to leadership and then verse 18 he says acknowledge such men honor them respect them for the service that they give to the church these are not people who are paid for their services it's voluntary they're serving the church out of the kindness of their heart because God's called them to it So in our church, that's our our elders and our deacons. God is calling us to to submit to our elders and our deacons and to honor them. Now, just so you know, I'm not an elder or a deacon. The elders and the deacons in our church, these are incredible men. I'm not one of them, but I get to watch them every week. I get to watch how they serve us, how they care for us. I, I watch the elders get up early on a Wednesday morning before the job that they have, like that they have to go to to get paid. They come and meet up at the church and I see the issues that they deal with and I can promise you if there is anything painful or messy at our church, they're the ones who take care of it. It ultimately lands on their desk and they do it for no money at all. They do it out of love for God and love for us. These are incredible men. And so when you see them, say thank you. Honor them, look up to them, praise them for their sacrifice. Now the deacons are easy to spot. They're the guys with the little golden tags. They're the ones who help us find a seat. They're the ones who take care of things on a Sunday morning. They're actually working all week long, a whole lot of things behind the scenes. But you see them regularly. So when you see them, say thank you. The elders, we have one big elder board here at Grace Bible Church, all the elders together, but there's a number of elders that you will see regularly here at Southwood. They're kind of assigned to to our campus. So let me introduce them to you just so you know who these men are when you see them. Eddie Colson, his wife Sally, you'll see Eddie praying a lot up here on Sunday mornings. Carl Jedeke and his wife Shelby, you'll see them a lot as well. David Fox and his wife BJ. Here's Grant Barnby and his wife Anne and youngest daughter Molly. And here's Steve Moffat with his wife Sarah and his oldest boys, Sam and Eli. And Steve needs to update his picture because he's got twice the number of kids now. So these are your elders that are here at the Southwood campus. When you see these men, when you see these women, because their wives sacrifice a great deal as well, please say thank you to them. They work incredibly long hours for absolutely no pay at all. They do it out of love for us and love for the Lord. It's it's absolutely right. That's what healthy churches do. We look up to our deacons and our elders. We follow them, we respect them, we say thank you to them for their service. So that's the first piece of this as we we look up to our leaders. We honor our elders and our deacons. Second, we support our pastors and our staff. Now if you'll turn to the left just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is always the most uncomfortable part of any sermon because I am on staff. (laughs) I'm one of your pastors. Don't really like to talk about this. So I'm just going to let Paul do the talking for me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's start in verse 7. Paul says, Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? 
Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So it, it is God's will that, that each church select and appoint men and women who are gifted and called to professional ministry. So to be pastors, to be ministers, to be staff at a church, to dedicate their time to the, to the study and teaching of God's word, to the care of the saints, to the equipping of new believers, to sharing the faith. And so the church is called to appoint and financially support those people. Now, the fun thing for me is that I get to tell you that you guys have done an outrageously good job at that. Grace Bible Church has taken incredibly good care, not just of us on pastoral staff, but of all the staff. I'm amazed to say that a few years ago when our country went through a really bad financial crisis, we did not have to lay anybody off. We did not have to reduce any salaries. I know a lot of other churches. Keep in touch with a lot of churches around the state and around the country. I don't know any church that went through that crisis as well as we did. Most of them had to lay people off. Most of them had to take cuts. We didn't because of you, because you were faithful, because you were kind. You were incredibly generous, and we were so, so thankful. You provide for us. You provide for our families. So financially, you guys are just doing incredibly well. Thank you so much for your support. I would challenge you, though. I would encourage you. There's one more thing you can do for us, and that's to pray for us. Please be praying regularly for the elders, for the deacons, for all the small group leaders, and for those of us on staff, for pastors, for all the staff, pray for us. Pray for our families, for our spouses and our kids that God will protect them from attack and from temptation. There are challenges and pains that come with being a pastor's kid that I really hope my kids don't have to face. So please pray for our kids, Um, and please pray for us. Working on a church staff is this incredible double-edged sword. I get paid to study the Word of God. That is both one of the greatest blessings and the greatest curses in my life. Because it's really easy working at a church for your walk with the Lord, for your time and worship in the Word, to just become how you make a paycheck. So please pray that that's never the case for us. That God holds us close to him, that he protects our hearts, that he helps us to passionately follow him so that this job never becomes just about making or getting a paycheck. So please be praying for us. So healthy churches support their leaders, honor their elders and their deacons, they support their pastors and their staff, and finally they care for their missionaries. They care for their missionaries. Paul and Timothy were missionaries of the Corinthian church. They had planted the church and the church sent them out to plant other churches. And here is what Paul says about how missionaries or how churches should care for their missionaries. Look again at chapter 16. Look in verse 5. Paul says, But I will come to you 
after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Verse 10, now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me for I expect him with the brethren. The church in Corinth sent Paul and Timothy. That word, it's a biblical word, you see it commonly. Uh, to send someone is to provide everything they need for their journey. So, so that's money, that's equipping, that's supplies, that's companions, that's support, that's prayer. That's what the church is, is called to do. We, we care for our missionaries. Healthy churches care for their missionaries. So very practically what that means, healthy churches identify and equip new missionaries. Whatever church you guys end up in, in whatever city, find a church that identifies, equips, and sends missionaries. If they don't, that's not a church for you. So find one that that identifies and equips missionaries, and then healthy churches send those missionaries with all, all the financial support they need, all of the practical things they need onto the field. And then while those missionaries are on the field, healthy churches don't forget about them. They pray for them, they encourage them, they write to them, they go visit them. And then when those missionaries return, healthy churches find places for them to stay. Healthy churches babysit their kids so that they can go out on a date. Healthy churches encourage and and support and refresh their missionaries. So how can you get involved in caring for missionaries? That's what healthy churches do, but that means each one of us needs to be caring for a missionary. How can you do that, practically speaking? Well, if you already know a missionary, then there's your way. That's really the best way. If you know someone who God has called into missions, pray for them. Financially support them, even if it's just a couple bucks a month. Be involved in their ministry. When they're on the field, send them letters. Go visit them. When they come home, feed them, house them, care for them. So if you know a missionary, connect directly with them. If you don't know a missionary, but you're in one of our small groups or a home church or an adult Bible fellowship or a college group, you actually already have a missionary. Every single group here at Grace, whether it's college, adult, home church, Sunday morning group, all of them have a missionary that they've been assigned. And so find out who your missionary is and talk to your group leader about what you can be doing practically to support your missionary. Now, if you don't know a missionary and you're not in one of our small groups, what can you do? Well, send me an email. Send us an email at globaloutreach at grace-bible.org. Tell us in your email who you are and tell us what part of the world or what kind of ministry you have a heart for. So something that the Lord has really touched you with that you really want to be involved in, we'll find you a missionary that you can connect with and pray for and write to. Maybe go visit one day when they come home. You can go feed them. You can go care for them. You can give to them. So find out from us. We want every single person in this room caring for one or more missionaries on the field because that's what healthy churches do. That's what healthy Christians do. We care for our missionaries. Okay, so second feature, second mark of healthy churches and healthy Christians is we support our leaders. Third mark of a healthy church that you want to look for. Healthy churches Hold to the essentials. I don't know if you guys have, have ever been to the beach 
and you've waded out into the ocean and, and you get up to about your chest and you try to stand in one place. I used to do that as a kid all the time. We'd go down to Galveston and we would challenge each other. How far can we go out? And about the second sandbar, it's coming up to your chest. And I just remember how incredibly hard it was to stay in one place when the water's up to your chest because the waves are hitting you in one direction and the riptide's pulling you in the other direction. I'll tell you what, I, I have never eaten as much or slept as much as when I went to the beach because you're just so exhausted, totally fatigued at the end of the day from, from fighting those constant waves. It is really hard to stay in one place when the waves are constantly battering you. That is why so many churches in our country have surrendered the the essential teachings of the Bible because they don't want to face the pressure, the abuse from the world that we live in any longer. We're evangelical Christians. We're not very popular. There are a lot of us, numerically speaking, but we're a small percentage, and the winds of our culture are against us. A lot of the things that we believe, a lot of the things that you believe, are incredibly unpopular to the society you live in. And so our world is going to attack us. They are going to push against us. They want to move us away from these teachings, from these truths that offend them. And, and so many churches have just bowed to that pressure. They, they either no longer believe those essential teachings or they never talk about them because they never want to offend anyone. But that's not what healthy churches do. Healthy churches take a stand for the truth of God's word, even if it's unpopular and uncomfortable. You see those kind of churches, healthy churches in chapter 16. Look at verse 13. Paul says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be on the alert. Healthy churches expect to be attacked. Healthy churches understand that you cannot preach Jesus to a world that crucified Jesus and not expect opposition. If we're doing our job right, the world will hate us. The world will persecute us and push on us. So healthy churches are alert. They're awake. They're expecting to be attacked. And when that attack comes, healthy churches stand strong in the faith. They hold to the truths of God's word. They stand strong in the midst of pressure and abuse. It's a common thing that Paul talks about, that Paul challenges us throughout the New Testament. Common theme, he tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. The letters, that's that's the Bible. Paul is saying, hold to the traditions that you've learned from God's word. Don't, Don't surrender those. Don't compromise on those. Hold fast to those even when it hurts. So we look, what, what are those traditions? What are those essentials of the faith that we have to stand on, that we have to cling to, even when we're abused for them? Well, number one on the list is the gospel. We talked about that last week. Chapter 15, Paul talks about how he had entrusted the gospel to them. That is the truth upon which they, they stand. The gospel is good news that there is a God in heaven, that God is real and that God loves us. And that instead of giving us the punishment that we deserve, because that's what we merit from God because of our sin, instead, out of love, God gave us his son. God sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life for us and then die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And then God raised Jesus from the dead, defeating sin and death so that he could offer forgiveness and eternal life to us as an absolutely free gift. 
And all that you have to do to to receive that free gift of forgiveness and eternal life with God in heaven forever is just believe. Just say, yes, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. That's the good news, the great news of the gospel. Do not stay at a church that won't preach that. If you end up in a church that either teaches a different gospel or does not preach the gospel, you need to find a different place because the gospel is what a church is about. That is our one and only good news. And so find a church that makes much of the gospel. Not just that they believe it, not just that it's on their website buried under doctrinal statement, but that they talk about it regularly, that they preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And so find a church that clings to the gospel. That's your first truth you gotta find. Second, third, and fourth, other truths that you wanna cling to, the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons. The inerrancy and authority of Scripture, that one is particularly under attack in our country today. Find a church that believes that this is all completely and utterly the Word of God that is our final and absolute authority in life. Finally, find a church that believes and preaches the hope of heaven, that there is a life after that one, and that's where your best life is. So you cling to that and you look forward to that. Find a church that clings to the essentials, not just on their website, but preaches them and teaches them regularly. It's third mark of a healthy church. Fourth mark of a healthy church. Find a church where people genuinely, truly love one another. Look at verse 14. Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all things, everything that we do, let it be done in love. Healthy churches love one another. Now, what does that mean? Remember, you always got to define your word. Anytime you're talking about love, you got to stop and define your words because our, our society means something very different. What is love actually? Well, what is love as, it, as it's revealed in the Bible? Well, love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling you have towards another person. Love is a choice. It is a choice you make to put someone else's needs above your own. That is God's love. That is what love means. And and what Paul's telling us is that healthy churches are a family of people where everyone is looking out for the needs of the other person and putting the needs and the good of the other person above their own needs, above their own good. That's the mark of a a healthy church. So if you go to a church and you're visiting and and you just get this vibe that people don't really care about one another, They're, they're just here to be entertained. They're just here to get their needs met. They're just here to make an appearance and look good in front of other people. That's not a church you want to belong to. You want to find a church where people genuinely know one another and care about one another, where they sacrifice for one another, where they care, care deeply for one another. Jesus tells us that that's actually the mark of those who, who follow him. How will the world know that we're Jesus' disciples? A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, for your fellow believers, for other Christians, that you genuinely, sacrificially love one another. That's how the world will know that we're followers of Christ. So when I moved up to Washington, D.C. after graduating from a and there are a lot of good churches up there. I visited a lot of churches, and a lot of them had the things on this list, at, at least in, in part. But there was this one church that I found where everybody seemed like they were in one big family. 
even though they weren't. There are lots of different families there. But they all treated one another like they were in one family. Now, this was not the biggest church. It was not the flashiest church. Definitely not the prettiest building. Not the most programs. Not the hippest place to be. And I was a young adult. You kind of wanted to be where the, the hip people were. This wasn't that church. And yet people really loved each other. And so I stayed there. That was the church that became my home because I, I could tell these, these people care about me being here. I'm not just a number, another number on their role. That's the kind of church you want to find where people genuinely love one another. I will say about this church, they would drop anything to care about you. I follow them on Facebook. I saw there was a tragedy that hit one of their families a few weeks ago. They literally dropped everything. Pastor booted his sermon. They canceled ministries. The whole church came around that one family in the midst of their crisis. That's a godly church. That's a church where people genuinely love one another. So that's what you're looking for in whatever church you move to, but as long as you are here at Grace, I would challenge you to be this kind of person. Help us to become a church that genuinely loves one another by loving one another, by caring about other people, by sacrificing for them, by by praying for them, by getting involved in their lives as their friend. Now, you can't do that if you don't know the people in this church. And this is a big church. There's a lot of people here. You can't love people if you don't know people. So the best way to get to know the people in this church is to be involved in one of our small groups. You you can't really love this family and be a part of this family if this is your only experience of it. It's just a lot of us in this room, and it's too passive. It's me talking to you. You need to be involved in a small group where you come alongside other men and women of faith, and you love on each other, and you get to know each other truly, deeply, and pray for each other, and study God's word together, and encourage, and challenge, and support one another. Unfortunately, we have tons of different options for you. It can be like a a men's or women's Bible study that meets at the church during the week. It can be one of our college Bible studies. There's a billion of them. It can be a home church, families and students meeting in someone's home every week or every other week for, for time in the word and fellowship, doing life together. Students, we would love to have you join our home churches because it keeps all of us adults young. It's really fun. We have Sunday morning options. You can go join a Sunday morning group. We have options during the first service, options during the second second service, if you're not in some kind of smaller community here at Grace, go to our website and click connect. All the options are there, or go in the foyer and talk to Chris McGuffey, talk to me, talk to someone here. We will get you plugged in to a smaller community at Grace where you can know people and be known by people. So that's the only way to truly love one another. Healthy churches and healthy Christians love one another sacrificially. All right, most of you aren't going to be here a whole lot more years. Some of you are going to be gone in May. And so when you leave and you begin checking out churches, you're dating a whole bunch of churches, I want you to find one that has these four things true for it. You're looking for a church where people give to the needy regularly, sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. You're looking for a church where where they support their leaders, their elders, their deacons, their pastors, their staff, and their missionaries. You're looking for a church that holds to the essentials even when it is costly. You're looking for a church where people genuinely love one another. Find that church, plug into that church, and then become a person for whom all of these things are true so that you can help whatever church you're involved in grow to be healthier and healthier. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of the people in this room. I know that many of them won't be with us for long. So first and foremost, I thank you for the the months or the years that you have given us with them. Thank you that you bring so many people to this town. Thank you that we're a transient community. 
that we have the privilege of investing our lives in, in students and in adults for, for a matter of months or years or decades, however long we have them. I pray, Lord, that for everyone here in this room who will be moving on soon, I pray that you would bless them and that you would prepare them for the next step in their journey. I pray that you would lead them to a great church. I pray that you would help them to find a healthy church, even if it means passing on the church with the hippest worship or the greatest speaker or the most programs or the most beautiful building. I pray that they would be willing to sacrifice any of that to find a church where these four things are true. I pray lead them to a church that cares deeply for the needy. Lead them to a church that supports their leaders and their missionaries. Lead them to a church that clings tenaciously to the truths of your word. Lead them to a church where people sacrificially love one another. Please bless them. Help them to get involved in that church, to become a member of that church, and to become a participating part of your family. And I pray for us. I pray for grace. Lord, thank you for the 50 years that you have blessed us. I pray that you would continue to watch over our church. I pray that you would protect us from the evil one. I pray, Lord, that you would keep us humble before you. Lord, we thank you for the strengths of this church, but we confess that there is still much room for improvement. And so I pray that you would be at work, not just in Grace Bible Church in a generic way, but in each of our hearts individually. I pray for every one of us in this room as we look at, those, at that list of four characteristics. Surely there must be one on that list that for every one of us in this room, there's gotta be one that really stands out as a weakness in our lives. We're not doing that well at the moment. I pray that you would convict each of us that you would challenge each of us to to dedicate our lives to the practice of these four disciplines. Help us to grow, Lord, so that as each of us grow in spiritual health, this whole church, this whole family might grow to become the church you want it to be. I pray that Grace Bible Church would honor and exalt Jesus Christ. I pray that we would make a difference in this world. I pray that you would do whatever it takes to help us to be healthy. Thank you for the gift of your son who makes this church possible. In his name we pray, amen. God bless you guys.